Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15. Uh, out on the Lord's Supper table in the hallway, we have the newest edition of the Save New England magazine. Uh, we get about a dozen of these each month. They are free of charge, uh, and, and, and please feel free. There's some great articles in there. Uh, Pastor Paul Chapman uh, from the Curtis Corners Baptist Church in Rhode Island puts this together. He's got an entire ministry called Save New England. Uh, so if you would, grab one of those. If you get out there and they're all gone, feel free to come up to the pulpit and grab the one that is here. Uh, and I'd rather than be in your hands, so don't, don't feel uh, bad about taking that. Uh, and that would, uh, I, I know it will be a blessing to you. Uh, we are going to start another round of our new converts class uh, on Oct October the 15th, which is about two weeks from today. Uh, if you or someone you know uh, is maybe new to Christianity, maybe just recently saved, or maybe new uh, to an independent Baptist church. Uh, maybe it's been a long time since you went through something like that. I'll, I'll be honest, I got saved in uh, 1972 and I never really went through a discipleship class. Uh, I, I grew up, I got saved and I was in a great Bible teaching church and eventually learned everything. Uh, but I know one of these classes is very helpful. So uh, John and Molly Snow, we're gonna be uh, uh, teaching that class again. There's a sign up. Uh, out in the bulletin board, if you think you or someone you know might be interested in that, if you'd sign up, uh, that way they can make sure that they order enough booklets and, and, and materials uh, for the class. And again, that'll start two weeks from today. And I uh, appreciate the Snows being willing to do that. And uh, I know that's they, they've got some folks that are going to start up. And uh, one of the men is from, uh, I keep wanting to say uh, Ecuador, uh, Venezuela. And he has a limited understanding of English, and so uh, his fiancée is going to go to the class and interpret. So this will be a bilingual uh, go around this time, which is going to be pretty cool. And looking forward to that. Did you find Judges 15 yet? Very, very good. Judges 15, we are walking through the book of Judges, and several chapters are devoted to a, a judge by the name of Samson. Actually, there are more chapters devoted to Samson's life than any other single judge. Coming right behind him would probably be Gideon. As we've stated many times, uh, many things about the life of Samson cause us to sort of scratch our head and say, wait, what did he do? What, what happened there? Uh, he's an enigma in many, many ways. We know he was a man of faith, a man of great faith, and how do we know that? Hebrews chapter 11, he is listed by name as a man of faith. Um, there's a statement made about Samson that is made more of him than of any other individual in the Bible. Can anybody remember what that phrase was, Brother Reimers? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So the exploits that Samson did were not through his own strength and power. It is the fact that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. So from that side of it, we see Samson as a very spiritual man, uh, a man of faith and so forth. What is the parts of Samson's life that you can think of that then cause us, in light of what we already talked about, that we say, hmm, how does that fit together? What are some things that you know about Samson that causes us to go, hmm, anything? Yeah. 
Brother Remers? Him being interested in Philistine women and eventually marrying one. Um, Jews were told not to do that. Okay, but Samson did. What else do we know about Samson that causes us? Brother Warren, what's that? Yes, remember, he reached into the carcass of a lion that he killed because uh, some honeybees, uh, you know, built a honeycomb in there and he reached inside. Why was that a problem? Not only could he have gotten stung, but there was another problem. Nanette. Yeah, being a Nazarite, he wasn't allowed to touch a dead body. Okay, so there are things like that about Samson's life that we don't necessarily understand. It is not our job to make excuses for him. It's just, it's our job to study what God's revealed about him, to learn some things about his life uh, and so forth. Uh, so we've got this unique man, and today we're going to see a little bit more of that uniqueness. If you remember in chapter 14, he saw a Philistine girl in the town of Timnath. And the Bible said he went home, told his father, he said, get her for me to wife. She pleaseth me well. His parents tried to talk him out of it. Shouldn't you marry a, a daughter of our own people and so forth? Um, and the Bible, let's turn back. In my Bible, it's one page. Verse four, his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson is, he's setting up a scenario here. We have to assume from verse four that God put this plan in his heart. Maybe he didn't give him all the details, but this was how Samson was gonna begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Uh, remember, Samson worked alone. He's, he's one of the only, in fact, he's the only judge that never raised an army. We'll see today, if, if the Lord allows us by, by, for sake of time, uh, that when there was an opportunity for others to join with him, they refused to do so. He, he, was, he, he, ap he operated, you know, on an individual basis. So God was doing something here. Mom and dad didn't understand it. And you and I may not necessarily understand it, but there are times we just have to take a step back and say, maybe that's not for us to understand. It's just uh, us to know this is what happened. So he got engaged to this girl. Remember, engagement in Bible days was a binding contract. They, they had not consummated the marriage, had the marriage ceremony and so forth, uh, but it was considered a binding thing. Um, Samson uh, went down. Uh, the Philistines gave him... 30 men to be his companions. We, we learned that uh, in verse number uh, uh, 11. Uh, one of them would serve as his best man. Um, Samson was marrying a Philistine, and, and probably none of the Jewish people he grew up with wanted anything to do, do with that. They weren't any happier about it than his mom and dad. So the Philistines filled in the gap. Uh, and, and so forth. Samson put forth a riddle to them. Can anybody remember what the riddle was about? Uh, he, there, he, he talked about, you know, uh, the lion. 
you know, uh, the, the, the eater became prey type thing, and then sweetness came forth from that. Uh, and it was all about this lion that he killed and the honeycomb that he found later on in there. Um, it, was a, it was a riddle that there's no way that they were ever going to come up to the answer to. His mom and dad didn't know where that honey came from. Uh, Samson is setting them up. Um, if they can't solve the riddle, what has to happen? Can anybody remember what would happen if they lost? For the graph? Yeah, 30 shirts and, and 30, if you will, coats, changes of garments. Uh, that type of thing. Um, if they solved the riddle, then he had to provide it for them. Remember that he, through this circumstance, is seeking opportunities against the Philistines. In Samson's mind, by them losing the riddle and having to give this Jewish man 30 changes of clothing, that's a humiliation on their part. They're losing face. For a warlike people like the Philistines, that was a big deal. You know, we lose a contest or something like that. We might be embarrassed. We might be humiliated. But more than likely, we just move on from there. It's just, uh, okay, I didn't solve the riddle. This was, a, this was a big deal in that culture, and Samson set it up as such. Um, how did they figure out the answer in spite of it being an impossible riddle to solve? They, they threatened his wife, said, either you get this guy to tell you what it is, or we're going to burn you and your father's house with fire. That's, that lets us know how, how big a deal this really was. Um, they were going to just put her and her dad in the house, set it on fire, and, and burn them alive. So she started nagging him. And she started crying with her nagging. And she's weeping. It's day after day after day. Proverbs talks about a contentious woman and, like, you know, continual dropping of water. And that's what was going on. And, and she wore him down. She wore him down. And on the seventh day, he finally gave in, told her what it was. And, of course, she went right to them, told her the answer. They gave him the answer to the riddle. And uh, Samson wasn't very happy. Uh, look, please, if, if you would, in verse 18, he said unto them, last part of the verse, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you had not found out my riddle. What about that lets you know he's not happy? He called his fiancée a heifer. Can I just tell you this? If when I was engaged to Trina, I'd refer to her as a heifer, I would have stayed single. It, it wasn't going to happen. He, he knew that somehow they cheated, and he knew where it came from because the only person he told was his fiancée. Uh, so he went to another Philistine city in Ashkelon, killed 30 men there, took their clothes and brought it back and said, here you go, he's mad, um, he storms off. By the way, is he getting his occasion against the Philistines? Yeah, it's just not working out the way that he thought it would. Um, again, little difficult for us in our modern way of thinking to understand, um, but this rift is there. The Philistines are finding out they got a foe that isn't afraid of them. They, they've got, and it's a single man. It's a single man that went out and overpowered 30 opponents, killed them, and brought the garments back. 
Um, Samson's wife at the end of chapter 14 is given to his companion. The best man married her. You know, and all of that, and Samson went home. We saw last week that in verse 15, it came to pass within a while after, in the time of wheat harvest, that Samson visited his wife with the kid. Remember, they were engaged, and that was considered a binding thing. Their marriage had never been consummated or, 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 or whatever, and he's coming back with a kid. Uh, it's sort of a gesture of goodwill. His anger simmered down. He doesn't know that she married the guy that was appointed to be his best man. I don't know if he brought the goat as uh, a goodwill offering or, hey, I brought dinner. <laughs> now make it, you know, that type of thing. Um, and uh, her father wanted nothing to do with it uh, because she was married off, verse 2. Her father said, I verily thought that thou hadst utterly hated her. That, um, that uh, therefore uh, I gave her to thy companion. Is not her younger sister fairer than she? Take her, I pray thee, instead of her. Um, so the father is trying to calm Samson down. They know what happens when Samson gets mad. His clothes don't shrink, he doesn't turn green, and he doesn't go around clobbering things. Okay, he doesn't do that. Um, but they saw what happened when, when his anger was aroused, and the father is trying to mollify it. Verse 3, Samson said concerning them, Now shall I be more blameless than the Philistines, though I do them a displeasure. Now, they'd done, they'd done him wrong. What he's saying is, I am really going to show them now. They thought I was mad the first time and I killed 30 Philistines. Now I'm really going to make them pay. So in verse 4, Samson went and caught 300 foxes. This would take some time. Um, I, I read through a number of commentaries and there's nothing clear as to whether he did this all by himself or if maybe he enlisted some of his friends or people from back in his home tribe. Uh, we, we don't know about it. He just caught them. The Bible says he took firebrands and he turned tail to tail, probably tied some kind of a, a cord uh, between their tails. Um, and in, in that, he wrapped up, uh, you know, uh, sticks and so forth, set them on fire. It's the wheat harvest, okay? The, the fields are yellow and dry, and he's going to send these foxes two by two with a you know, burning firebrand between their tails. And these animals are terrified and they're going to run for cover and everywhere they run, they're just setting the wheat on fire. Uh, I want you to consider this for a moment. For 40 years, the Philistines have ruled Israel, haven't they? We, we learned that early on. Uh, from our study of the book of Judges, when one of these nations, whether it's the Moabites, the Midianites and so forth, when they put Israel in captivity, what is the one thing they always did to the people of Israel? Stole their food. That's why Gideon was threshing wheat at a wine press in the middle of the night. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press, you stomp out grapes. He's hiding under cover of darkness because that's what you starved out the enemy. This had been going on for 40 years. The Philistines stealing the food of the Israelites and thus weakening them and, and so forth. And 
it's, it's uh, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap is now coming to pass. And so uh, it says he burnt up both the shocks, also the standing cord with the vineyards and olives. So when just the wheat harvest, he's, a, he's, he's plundering all of the sources of their wealth and their food and all of that. He's putting them in, in the position they'd kept Israel. And remember, God raised Samson up to begin to deliver Israel out of the Philistines. The Philistines said, who hath done this? And they answered Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he had taken his wife and given her to his companion. So they found out who did it. I don't think it was very hard for them to understand. And they also realized why Samson did that um, and so forth. And notice the end of verse six. And the Philistines came up and burnt her and her father with fire. These people didn't mess around. Didn't mess around at all. Remember when they wanted this girl to uh, get Samson to tell her, uh, tell her the answer to the riddle so they wouldn't lose face with him? Their threat was, either you get it or we're gonna burn you and your dad with fire. Well, it's all come full circle and that's exactly what happened to them anyhow. Uh, and so we don't, we don't necessarily rejoice in that. We don't say that with that kind of a spirit. Uh, but this is how wicked and harsh the Philistine culture was. Verse 7, Samson's not done. He's not done. Samson said unto them, though ye have done this, yet will I be avenged of you, and after that I will cease. So now they've they've actually murdered the, the young lady that was supposed to be his wife. So they, they, if you will, cheated him out of the answer to the riddle. He comes back and finds that she's not just been engaged to another man, she's actually gone through with it. The, the marriage has been consummated. Uh, the, the engagement was broken without his knowledge and or consent uh, and so forth. Um, he's, he's wreaked his revenge uh, on them for that. And now he finds out that they've murdered her and her father. So he's going to take it one step farther. Samson is, he's consumed by this idea of revenge, not necessarily a healthy thing, but Samson's consumed by it. Uh, and the Bible says in verse eight, and he smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. We'll stop there on verse number eight. He smote them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Um, like Brother Tim, I like to do some background on the text and so forth. Um, the, the, the universal uh, opinion of any commentary that I read about this matter, uh, he smote them hip and thigh, uh, gives the idea there was a terrible brawl. There was no weapon that is mentioned here. It is just Samson beating the living daylights out of them. And the Bible says there was a great slaughter. His, his anger is out of control. We don't know how many Philistines were a part of this. We're, cons we're, we're kind of assuming quite a few because a lot of their... A lot of people had their fields, vineyards, olive yards, and so forth, completely destroyed by fire. Their wealth had been attacked. We see sort of a mob attacking him, and we just see him fighting his way out of that. 
and in the process, um, a whole bunch of them died. That idea of smote them hip and hip and thigh gives us the idea it was a brawl. Um, maybe you've seen video of street rioting, uh, things like that, things that went on like right after the 2020 election and, and some of the things like in Portland, Oregon and those places and, you know, burning buildings down and all that. We kind of see that going on, only it's a one-man army going after all these people that are his enemies um, and he, he defeats them with a great slaughter. Verse eight, and he went down and dwelt in the top of the rock, Etam. Etam was um, eventually a fortress in the tribe of Judah. He is, he's now, he's not going back to Dan, which is a little bit to the north of him. He's going to the southeast. Um, Etam actually uh, was very close to Bethlehem. He traveled quite a distance. Um, and the Bible says he dwelt in the top of the rock, Etam. Uh, there would come a day when the Philistines would actually have a fortress on the top of that rock. Um, and it, it overlooked a valley that had several hills around it. And uh, there would be another Philistine slaughter in the valley uh, in the midst of those, those uh, uh, mountains uh, in the site of this place called Etam. And their greatest hero of Philistine lore would die in that valley. Anybody know who I'm talking about? That's where Goliath would die, okay? So uh, at this time, it's just a rock. There's no fortress there. There's no town uh, built around it. And he goes to the top of the rock, possibly to make sure that he has a good uh, vantage point if he sees the enemy coming after him. The Philistines aren't gonna, aren't gonna let this lie down. Um, he's already killed 30 of them in revenge for cheating on the riddle issue. He's burnt their fields, their vineyards, their olive yards with fire. Now there's been a great slaughter where he's, he's beat up, uh, up and killed a bunch of them. So verse nine, then the Philistines went up and pitched in Judah and spread themselves in Lehi. They're chasing him down, um, possibly having him up on top of this rock. They felt like maybe they've got him trapped there's nowhere necessarily for him to go, but they brought their army uh, together. This is, this is not good for Israel. I mean, they're in captivity. They have been for 40 years, but now the Philistines are mad. Their, their anger is aroused, and they are coming in with their army. So for the, the Israelites who have been under this bondage all of this time, they, they probably don't have weapons. That was the, the modus operandi of the day. Um, uh, the Philistines especially, we'll, we'll read a little bit later on, uh, in the days of Saul when the Philistines had power, not only did they steal their food, they commandeered all of their weapons to the point that if you had an ax you needed to cut wood with or a plow that you needed to you know, plop your ground and plant your crops, you had to go to the Philistines to get that weapon sharpened and they would know who has an ax or, or who has something that could possibly be used as a weapon against them. Tyrants always 
confiscate weapons. I'm just throwing that out there. Tyrants always confiscate weapons. And you just mark that down. Watch through history. It's always the way it happened. So the, the men of Judah are unprepared for this invasion. They're probably not even aware of why it's happened. But now they've got an invading army in their land. Verse 10, the men of Judah said... Why are ye come up against us? We're paying our tribute. You're, you're getting your food. We've, we've not done anything. And they're, they're terrified. They just think it's all over for them. And they, the Philistines, answered to bind Samson. Are we come up to do to him as he hath done to us? They want their revenge on him. There's been a great slaughter that he's responsible for. Uh, he's burned up their crops. Um, and he is responsible. 30 other Philistines died, and they want revenge. They want to make him an example so that nobody else from Israel ever dares challenge their authority. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. The men of Judah, I'm sorry, verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah. That's a lot of people. There are men, do you realize that's, a, that's an army? 3,000 men could do some damage. Um, 3,000 men of Judah went to the top of the rock, Etam, and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is this that thou hast done unto us? And he said unto them, As they did unto me, so have I done unto them. They're not happy about this. They aren't coming along rallying to Samson's cause. Remember in our study of Gideon, he blew a trumpet and thousands of Israelites were gathered to his side, uh, about 32,000 to be exact. And God whittled that number down to 300. But, but it's, it's like the people were waiting for a hero to arise to help them out. It's not happening with Samson. Um, they should have been coming there saying, man, if, if you can do that alone, we're, we're here to lend our aid. What, what, what do you want us to do? That type of thing. They're not doing that at all. They're saying, man, the Philistines reign over us. This is just the way it's been for 40 years, and this is the way it's going to be. These men had no faith in their God. They had no understanding of their own history. For us to study the judges... We're going back 3,500 years or so ago. But for them, it was current events. It was only, it, it's sort of like us studying the Vietnam War. That's our lifetime. Now, the Korean War, World War II, there were some that that's, that's your lifetime. You can have some memories of that. But it wasn't that far removed from all of us. 9-11, how many remember it? Okay. That was, that was over two decades ago, but we still remember it. It's in our minds, current events. The book of Judges, the events of that day, it's spread out over a 450-year history by the time the book ends, but some of it is still current events for these people. They've seen what God did when his people repented, when God raised up a judge, God, God would help him and they would get victory. The enemies would be driven out and they would have peace in their land generally as long as that judge stayed alive. 
but they're ignoring their own history. They're ignoring what Bible that God has given to them, and they're just saying the Philistines rule over us. That's the way it's going to be. Don't, don't muddy the waters. Don't ruffle any feathers here. And they're upset with Samson for taking up, if you will, arms against the Philistines. It's amazing how we can get used to living in spiritual bondage. We can get used to living a subpar Christian life. We, we just get used to it. We, we just get used to living a life where we really don't see God moving and we don't see God answering prayer. And if somebody stands up that wants to challenge us to step out in faith, we can actually get to the place of seeing that person as somewhat of the troublemaker. Um, when the Philistines, years and years later, decades, decades later, were coming against Israel again, and Saul was their king, and they're pitched in that valley, the same valley that this event takes place in, because the rock Edom is now a Philistine fortress, and Goliath comes out, not once, but for 40 days and 40 nights, challenging Israel to send one man to fight against him. Israel wanted nothing. To, they just all trembled. The soldiers did. Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody. He's not going out against him. There was nobody there that had any faith in God. They, they just thought, we'll wait it out as long as we don't send somebody out there. At least it doesn't get worse. And it's like they were content to live this subpar spiritual life. When David showed up in the scene and he heard Goliath's rant and rave that morning and David said, who's going to go out against this guy? What was the response to David? Was there anybody that said, I bet you could do it. Man, you look like a man of faith. Uh, why don't you be our champion? Was there anybody at all that said that? Not one. What did his brothers say? Do you remember? Yeah, why don't you go back and take care of that little flock of sheep, those few sheep of yours. We know your pride and the naughtiness of your heart. They insulted and put him down, let him know that he's not up to this. What did Saul, the king, say when he heard what David was out there talking about? Anybody remember? What's that? He's eventually going to ask who the stripling is, but that's after Goliath is dead. What was Saul's first reaction? Anybody remember? I'm going to make you look at it. What's that? Uh, he gave him his armor, but that was, that was kind of like his second. His first reaction is, you're just a kid. You are but a youth. And Goliath has been a man of war from his youth. Um, it, it sort of be like if Brother Rob was here today, Brother Rob and I arm wrestling. Uh, six foot five, five foot six. Probably I, I don't stand a chance on that. With David and Goliath, it was even worse because Goliath was, we think, around nine and a half feet tall. David was probably a, a teenager. He's called a stripling which gives the idea that he's young, he's skinny, uh, all that kind of stuff. Nobody believed in him. David was seen by his brothers and by the king and by most everybody else there as a troublemaker because he wanted to stand up 
in faith and say, let's take this guy on. Our God is able. The men of Judah are displaying why they're still in bondage. They have no faith, no trust in their God, and they are willing to accept that bondage over stepping out by faith and letting God set them free. It's amazing what we can get acclimated to. It is really amazing. Keeping your place here, can I get you to turn, uh, let's see, all the way back to the book of Exodus. I think I want you in chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. When I get bored, especially if it's one of those nights where I'm not able to sleep, I binge watch some things um, that probably, actually they kind of help me. One of the things I binge watch is hoarders. How many have ever seen that? I binge watch hoarders, and it happens every time. I watch one or two episodes, and it might be 3 o'clock in the morning. I get up and start cleaning my apartment. <laughs> I, I start boxing. I, I'm getting rid of it. It's just it's like, I don't want to be a hoarder. There's, there's something about it. And there's another one that I just sort of stumbled on. It's called My 600-Pound Life, and it's, it's really sad. It really is. In both situations, it is amazing what you can get used to putting up with. And you get used to it to where almost your security is found in all of that. Some of those homes that the, 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 those people and hoarders live in are unsanitary. They're unsafe. They've got, they've got mountains of, of junk that one false move, it's going to fall over on them and kill them. There's vermin. Um, I, we, we won't go into all the disgusting things that they live there. Generally, their water's shut off. The plumbing doesn't work. So you can just imagine the filth that, that accrues and all that kind of stuff. But they get used to it. In some cases, they don't even see anything wrong with it. And when family members and then the outside crew comes in and wants to help get rid of stuff, you see these same people having a meltdown in the front yard because somebody wants to throw away their, their, their gallon jars of urine and, and stuff like that. It's amazing what we can condition ourselves to. We don't want to do that with spiritual things. God has a plan for us. You do know that God's plan is amazing. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now we certainly know that, that that's talking about heaven in a sense, um, you know, Jesus talked about that in John chapter 14. But the context of that is not what God has prepared for us in heaven. It's what God wants to do now. God wants to bless us and answer our prayers. God wants to show himself strong for us. If it's not happening, and it's not because God doesn't want to. It's because we're just kind, kind of content with the way things are. In Exodus chapter 8, the plagues of Egypt have started. The water has been turned into blood. Pharaoh hardens his heart, doesn't repent. So the second plague was God sent frogs uh, into all the land uh, and so forth. Look, if you would, please, verse 5, the Lord spake unto Moses, say unto Aaron, stretch forth thine hand with, the, with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. 
And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land. So the magicians duplicated it. All they did was <laughs> make things worse. You know, just what we need. The land is covered with frogs. The Bible says it was in their ovens. It was in the, the frogs were in their beds. Uh, can you just imagine everywhere you turn, it's just frogs getting in your house and you have no idea quite how they got there. All night long, can you imagine the noise of that? Can you imagine walking outside and everywhere you go, squish, 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 because it's just frogs all over the place. So the, the magicians say, we'll show them, we'll make more frogs. Rebellion makes people stupid. So they brought more out there. So Pharaoh realizes, my guys are idiots. They're not going to help out. Look at verse 8. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Pharaoh wants this to end. Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. I'm going to give you the say on this. When... Shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy houses that they may remain in the river only? When do you want this to come to pass? You give the time. That way you'll know that it was, it was the Lord God of Israel that did it, not just, you know, that's what happens with frogs. Eventually they, they go away. Um, if you were Pharaoh, your house is filled with frogs, your bed's filled with frogs, Everywhere you go, it just, and it's been going on for who knows how long. And Moses said, you pick the time when the frogs go away. I'm, I'm going to give you that right. When are you going to want them gone? Now, now maybe yesterday. Um, I, I'm going to want them gone now. Look at verse 10. And he said, tomorrow. Seriously? I heard a sermon one time called One More Night with the Frogs. Rebellion makes people. See, Pharaoh knew that only God could get rid of this, but there's that human nature. Okay, I, I want them gone, but I, I, I want to show God that I'm really not all that afraid of him. And he was content for him and his family and all of his people to spend another night with that horrible plague that is going on. Way back in Judges now, and we're, we're done in a moment, the men of Judah have a man that God is raised up, he's already doing things as a single human being that they've not seen in their lifetime. God is beginning to humble the Philistines in their presence, but rather than join with them, they're going to bind him and turn him over to the Philistines. In other words, the Philistines are robbing us and we're starving and we're in captivity but we know that in order to get rid of them, we have to get rid of our idols. We have to repent of our sins. And we're going to have to turn to the one true God because it wasn't just a judge and a strong leader that brought them freedom. It was repentance and revival that did. The judge was just the person God used to bring them to that place. And they're saying, you know what? We'd rather keep the Philistines and our sin than to give up our sin and have freedom. Isn't that sad? Samson, for all of his flaws, is standing alone. And he will stand alone till the day of his death. There's something 
very important to be said about that. We need to stop there. Thank you for your time and attention. Uh, we do have some